Part Four, Chapter Five and Six of Doctor Doolittle's Post Office. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Doctor Doolittle's Post Office by Hugh Lofting. Part Four, Chapter Five, Obombo's Rebellion. Late that same afternoon, the doctor returned to Chief Nyam Nyam's village, and with him he took the cormorant as well as Dab Dab and his animals. As he arrived at the little group of straw houses, he saw that there was some kind of commotion going on. All the villagers were gathered around the chief's hut. Speeches were being made, and everyone seemed in a great state of excitement. The old chief himself was standing at the door, and when he saw his friend the doctor approaching on the edge of the crowd, he signaled him to come into the hut. This the doctor did and as soon as he was inside the chief closed the door and began to tell him what the trouble was great trials have overtaken me in my old age o white man said he for fifty years i have been head of this tribe respected honored and obeyed now my young son-in-law obombo clamors to be made chief and many of the people support him bread we have none food of any kind is scanty and obombo tells the tribesmen that the fault is mine that he if he is made chief will bring them luxury and prosperity it is not that i am unwilling to give up the chieftaincy but i know this young upstart who would take my place means to lead the people into war what can he do by going to war can he fill the people's stomachs in wars we have always lost our neighbors are large peoples while we are the smallest tribe in all west africa so we have been robbed and robbed till now the mothers and children clamor at my door for bread alas alas that i should ever see this day the old chief sank into his chair as he ended and burst out weeping the doctor went up and patted him on the shoulder chief nam nam said he i think i have discovered something to-day which should make you and your people rich for the remainder of your lives go out now and address the tribesmen promise them in my name and remind them that i come recommended by king coco promise them from me that if they abide peacefully under your rule for another week the country of chief nam nam will be made famous for its riches and prosperity then the old chief opened the door and made his speech to the clamoring crowd outside and when he had ended abombo the son-in-law got up and began another speech calling on the people to drive the old man out into the jungle but before he had got halfway through the crowd began to murmur to one another let, let us, us not, not listen, listen to this forward, forward young, young man, man. It, it were better, better far, far that, that we abide the white man's promise and see what comes he is, he is a man, man of deeds, deeds not, not words. Did he not put the Amazons to flight? With, with a, a magic, magic mouse, mouse that lives, that lives in, his in his pocket? Let, Let us side with the white man and the venerable Nyam Nyam, who has ruled us with kindness for so long. 
a bombo would but lead us into war and bring us to greater poverty still. Soon hisses and groans broke out among the crowd, and picking up pebbles and mud, they began pelting a bombo so he could not go on with his speech. Finally, he had to run for the jungle himself to escape the fury of the people. Then, when the excitement had died down and the villagers had gone peacefully to their homes, the doctor told the old chief of the wealth that lay waiting for him in the oysters of the Harmattan rocks, and the Comrade agreed to oblige John Doolittle by getting a number of his relatives to do pearl-fishing for these people, who were so badly in need of money and food. And during the next week the doctor paddled the old chief to the rocks twice a day. A great number of oysters were fished up by the cormorants, and the pearls were sorted by the doctor, put in little boxes, and sent out to be sold. John Doodlittle told the old chief to keep the matter a secret, and only to entrust the carrying to reliable men. And soon money began to pour into the country from the pearl-fishing business, which the doctor had established, and the people were prosperous and had all the food they wanted. By the end of that week the doctor had, indeed, made good his promise. The country of Chief Nyam Nyam became famous all along the coast of West Africa as a wealthy state. But wherever money is made in large quantities and business is good, there strangers will always come, seeking their fortune. And before long, the little village that used to be so poor and insignificant was full of traders from the neighboring kingdoms, buying and selling in the crowded busy markets and of course questions were soon asked as to how this country had suddenly got so rich and although the chief had carried out the doctor's orders and had only entrusted the secret of the fisheries to a few picked men folks began to notice that canoes frequently came and went between the harmerton rocks and the village of chief nyam nyam then spies from those neighboring countries who had always been robbing and warring upon this land, began to sneak around the rocks in canoes. And, of course, very soon the secret was out. And the emir of Elibubu, who was one of the big, powerful neighbors, called up his army and sent them off in war canoes to take possession of the Harmerton rocks. At the same time he made an attack upon the village, drove everybody out, and carrying off the doctor and the chief, he threw them into prison in his own country. Then at last Nyam Nyam's people had no land left at all. And in the jungle, where the frightened villagers had fled to hide, Obombo made whispered speeches to little scattered groups of his father-in-law's people, telling them what fools they had been to trust the crazy white man instead of listening to him, who would have led them to greatness. Now, when the emir of Elabubu had thrown the doctor into prison, he had refused to allow Dab-Dab, Jip, or Gub-Gub to go with him. Jip put up a fight and bit the emir in the leg, but all he got for that was to be tied up on a short chain. The prison into which the doctor was thrown had no windows, and John Doolittle, although he had been in African prisons before, was very unhappy because he was extremely particular about having fresh air, and besides, his hands were firmly tied behind his back with strong rope. "'Dear me,' said he, while he was sitting miserably on the floor in the darkness, wondering what on earth he was going to do without 
any of his animals to help him. What a poor holiday I am spending, to be sure. But presently he heard something stirring in his pocket, and to his great delight the white mouse, who had been sleeping soundly, entirely forgotten by the doctor, ran out on his lap. Good luck! cried John Doodle. You're the very fellow I want. Would you be so good as to run around behind my back and gnaw this beastly rope? It's hurting my wrists. Certainly, said the white mouse, setting to work at once. Why is it so dark? I haven't slept into the night, have I? No, said the doctor. It's only about noon, I should say. But we're locked up. That stupid old Amir of Elabubu made war on Nam Nam and threw me into jail. Bother it. I always seem to be getting into prison. The worst of it was, he wouldn't let Jibber Dab Dab come with me. I'm particularly annoyed that I haven't got Dab Dab. I wish I knew some way I could get a message to her. Well, just wait until I have your hands free, said the white mouse. Then I'll see what can be done. There, I've bitten through one strand. Now wiggle your hands a bit, and you can undo the whole rope. The doctor squirmed his arms and wrists, and presently his hands were free. Thank goodness I had you in my pocket, he said. That was a most uncomfortable position. I wonder what kind of a prison old Nyam Nyam got. This is the worst one I was ever in. In the meantime, the emir, celebrating victory in his palace, gave orders that the Harmattan rocks, which were now to be called the Royal Alababu Pearl Fisheries, would henceforth be his exclusive private property, and no trespassing would be allowed. And he sent out six special men with orders to take over the islands and to bring all the pearls to him. Now the cormorants did not know that war had broken out, nor anything about the doctor's misfortune. And when the emir's men came and took the pearl oysters they had fished up, the birds supposed they were Nyam Nyam's men, and let them have them. However, it happened, luckily, that this first load of oysters had only very small and almost worthless pearls in them. Jip and Dab-Dab were still plotting to find some way to reach the doctor, but there seemed to be nothing they could think of. Inside the prison, the doctor was swinging his arms to get the stiffness out of them. You said something about a message you had for Dab-Dab, I think? Peeped the white mouse's voice from the darkness of the corner. Yes, said the doctor. And a very urgent one. But I don't see how on earth I'm going to get it to her. This place is made of stone, and the door is frightfully thick. I noticed it as I came in. Don't worry, doctor. I'll get it to her, said the mouse. I've just found an old rat hole over here in the corner. I pop down it, and it goes under the wall and comes out by the root of the tree on the other side of the road from the prison. Oh, how splendid, cried the doctor. Give me the message, said the white mouse. And I'll hand it to Dab-Dab before you can say Jack Robinson. She's sitting in the tree where the hole comes out. Tell her, said the doctor, to fly over to the Harmattan rocks right away, and give the cormorants strict orders to stop all pearl fishing at once. All right, said the mouse, and he slipped down the rat hole. Dab-Dab, as soon as she got the message, went straight off to the pearl fisheries and gave the doctor's instructions to the cormorants. She was only just in time, for the emir's six special men were about to land on the islands to get a second load of pearls. 
Dab-Dab and the cormorant swiftly threw back into the sea the oysters that had been fished up, and when the emir's men arrived, they found nothing. After hanging around a while, they paddled back and told the emir that they could find no more pearl oysters on the rocks. He sent them out to look again, but they returned with the same report. Then the emir was puzzled and angry. If Naim Naim could get pearls on the Harmerton rocks, why couldn't he? And one of his generals said that, Probably the white man had something to do with it, since it was he who had discovered and started the fisheries. So the emir ordered his hammock men and had himself carried to the doctor's prison. The door was unlocked, and the emir, going inside, said to the doctor, what monkey business have you done to my pearl fisheries, you white-faced villain? They're not your pearl fisheries, you black-faced ruffian, said the doctor. You stole them from poor old Nam-Nam. The pearls were fished for by diving birds, but the birds are honest and will work only for honest people. Why don't you have windows in your prisons? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Then the emir flew into a terrible passion. How dare you speak to me like that? I am the emir of Alibubu. He thundered. You're an unscrupulous scoundrel, said the doctor. I don't want to talk to you. If you don't make the birds work for me, I'll give orders that you get no food, said the emir. You shall be starved to death. I have told you, said the doctor, that I don't desire any further conversation with you. Not a single pearl shall you ever get from the Harmattan fisheries. And not a bite to eat shall you ever have till I do. The emir yelled. Then he turned to the prison guards, gave instructions that the doctor was not to be fed till further orders and stalked out. The door slammed shut with a doleful clang, and after one decent breath of fresh air, the doctor was left in the darkness of his stuffy dungeon. Chapter 6. The Doctor's Release The emir of Elibubu went back to his palace, feeling perfectly certain that after he had starved John Doodlittle for a few days, he would be able to make him do anything he wanted. He gave orders that no water should be served to the prisoner either, so as to make doubly sure that he would be reduced to obedience. But immediately the emir had left, the white mouse started out through the rat-hole in the corner, and all day and all night he kept busy, coming and going, bringing in crumbs of food which he gathered from the houses of the town. Bread-crumbs, cheese-crumbs, yam-crumbs, potato-crumbs, and crumbs of meat which he pulled off bones. All these he stored carefully in the doctor's hat in the corner of the prison, and by the end of each day he had collected enough crumbs for one good square meal. The doctor said he never had the slightest idea of what he was eating, but as the mealy mixture was highly digestible and nutritious, he did not see why he should mind. To supply his master with water, the mouse got nuts, and after gnawing a tiny hole in one end, he would chop the nut inside into pieces and shake it out through the hole. Then he would fill the empty shell with water and seal up the hole with gum arable, which he got from trees. The water-filled nuts were a little heavy for him to carry, 
so dab-dab would bring them from the river as far as the outside end of the rat-hole and the white mouse would roll them down the hole into the prison by getting his friends the village mice to help him in the preparation of these nuts he was able to supply them in hundreds then all the doctor had to do when he wanted a drink was to put one in his mouth crack it with his teeth and after the cool water had run down his throat spit the broken shells out the white mouse also provided crumbs of soap so that his master could shave for the doctor even in prison was always very particular about this part of his appearance well when four days had passed the emir of elabubu sent a messenger to the prison to inquire if the doctor was now willing to do as he was told the guards after talking to john doodle brought word to the emir that the white man was as obstinate as ever and had no intention of giving in very well said the emir stamping his foot then let him starve in ten days more the fool will be dead then i will come and laugh over him so perish all wretches who oppose the wishes of the emir of elabubu and in ten days time he went to the prison as he had said to gloat over the terrible fate of the white man many of his ministers and generals came with him to help him gloat but when the prison door was opened instead of seeing a white man's body stretched upon the floor the emir found the doctor smiling on the threshold shaved and hearty and all spruced up the only difference in his appearance was that with no exercise in prison he had grown slightly stouter and rounder the emir stared at the prisoner open-mouthed speechless with astonishment now the day before this he had heard for the first time the story of the rout of the amazons the emir had refused to believe it but now he began to feel that anything might be true about this man see one of his ministers whispered in his ear the sorcerer has even shaved his beard without water or soap your majesty there is surely evil magic here set the man free before harm befall let us be rid of him and the frightened minister moved back among the crowd so the doctor's evil gaze would not fall upon his face then the emir himself began to get panicky and he gave orders that the doctor should be released right away i will not leave here said john doodle standing squarely in the door until you have windows put in this prison it's a disgrace to lock up anyone in a place without windows build windows in the prison at once the emir said to the guards and after that i won't go said the doctor not till you have set chief Nemnyam free not till you have ordered all your people to leave his country in the harmattan rocks not till you have returned to him the farming land you robbed him of it shall be done muttered the emir grinding his teeth only go i go said the doctor but if you ever molest your neighbors again i will return beware then he strode through the prison door out into the sunlit street while the frightened people fell back on either side and covered their faces whispering magic do not let his eye fall on you and in the doctor's pocket the white mouse had to put his paws over his face to keep from laughing and now the doctor set out with his animals and the old chief to return to nyam nyam's country 
from the land where they had been imprisoned on the way they kept meeting with groups of the chief's people who were still hiding in the jungle these were told the glad tidings of the emir's promise when they learned that their land was now free and safe again the people joined the doctor's party for the return journey and long before he came in sight of the village john doolittle looked like a conquering general coming back at the head of an army so many had gathered to him on the way that night grand celebrations were made in the chief's village and the doctor was hailed by the people as the greatest man who had ever visited their land two of their worst enemies need now no longer be feared the emir had been bound over by a promise and dahomey was not likely to bother them again after the fright the amazons got on their last attack the pearl fisheries were restored to their possession and the country should now proceed prosperously and happily the next day the doctor went out to the harmerton rocks to visit the cormorants and to thank them for the help they had given the old chief came along on this trip and with him four trustworthy men of his in order that there should be no mistake in future these men were shown to the cormorants and the birds were told to supply them and no others with pearl oysters while the doctor and his party were out at the rocks an oyster was fished up that contained an enormous and very beautiful pearl by far the biggest and handsomest yet found it was perfect in shape flawless and a most unusual shade in color after making a little speech the chief presented this pearl to the doctor as a small return for the services he had done him and his people thank goodness for that dab dab whispered to jip do you realize what that pearl means to us the doctor was down to his last shilling as poor as a church mouse we would have had to go circus travelling with the push me poor you again if it hadn't been for this i'm so glad for for my part i should be glad enough to stay at home and settle down a while once we get there oh i don't know said gub gub i love circuses i wouldn't mind travelling so long as it's in england and with the circus well said jip whatever happens it's nice the doctor's got the pearl he always seems to be in need of money and as you say dab dab that should make anybody rich for life but while the doctor was still thanking the chief for the beautiful present quip the carrier flew up with a letter for him it was marked urgent in red ink doctor said the swallow so speedy thought he had better send it to you by special delivery john doolittle tore open the envelope who's it from doctor asked dab dab dear me muttered the doctor reading it's from that farmer in lincolnshire whose brussels sprouts we imported for gub gub i forgot to answer his letter you remember he wrote asking me if i could tell him what the trouble was and i was so busy it went clean out of my mind dear me i must pay the poor fellow back somehow i wonder oh but there's this i can send him the pearl that will pay for his sprouts and something to spare what a good idea and to dab dab's horror the doctor tore a clean piece off the farmer's letter scribbled a reply wrapped the pearl up in it and handed it to the swallow tell speedy said he to send that off right away registered i'm returning to pantippo tomorrow 
Goodbye, and thank you for the special delivery. As Quip the carrier disappeared into the distance with the doctor's priceless pearl, Dab-Dab turned to Jip and murmured, There goes the Doolittle fortune. My, but it is marvellous how money doesn't stick to that man's fingers. Hey-ho, sighed Jip. It's a circus for us, all right. Easy comes, easy goes, murmured Gub-Gub. Never mind. I don't suppose it's really such fun being rich. Wealthy people have to behave so unnaturally. End of Part 4, Chapter 6